On Wednesday, Governor Gavin Newsom signed a first-of-its-kind law forming a task force to study the state's role in slavery and make recommendations for reparations. California joined the Union as a free state in 1850, but still had a history of slavery until the 13th Amendment in 1865. The bill's author, California Assemblywoman Shirley Weber, joins us now. Thank you so much for your time, Assemblywoman. Thank you for the invitation. So you hope that this bill will inspire national action. How long have you been fighting for this? And, and walk us through what you hope will happen next. Well, I think what, is, uh, what we've been fighting for, is, as you probably looked at the record, there's been 30 or 40 years in which every year someone from the Congressional Black Caucus introduced a reparations bill, and it's never gotten very far. And so we wanted to basically call for a commission that would begin the study of reparations in California. The, the bill calls for the establishment of a, a commission of nine individuals. Uh, the governor will appoint five, and the president pro tem and the, and the speaker will appoint two and each. And so we'll have nine persons who will be from their various backgrounds and academic backgrounds as well, who will be looking into the impact of California's uh, slavery in California uh, and, uh, and its impact today, not only what took place then, but also more importantly, what impact it continues to have on California on the economic and educational life of African Americans in the state of California. So many might remember that in July, Asheville, North Carolina approved a reparations resolution. Now, instead of direct cash, the city plans to make investments in areas where black residents face disparities. Is that something that you would consider an option for California, or is the bottom line that you're hoping that this law will spur the state of California to directly pay descendants of slaves? Well, you know, I, th I don't know if there could be a, a direct payment to the descendants of slaves with regards to the number of years that have been passed, but that is surely something that people can consider. We have not taken any option off the table uh, because we don't want a, a fast response to it and say, okay, we'll give everybody $30,000 and then we're done uh, without actually realizing that the problem may be much deeper than that. Uh, we want to basically do a complete and, and clear assessment of the damage done and come up with solutions that would have an impact 
on people's lives and that would change their lives uh, and, their, and their children's lives so that we can actually try to level the playing field. So it, I doubt if it'll be a quick fix, like a couple thousand dollars, uh, but we hope that it will be a comprehensive study that will make some really good and deep recommendations about how we change California. And what's your response to critics of, of this bill who say that the national government, not states, should be responsible for reparations? Uh, they're absolutely correct. The federal government should be responsible and should be, but it's not. And oftentimes, California leads the way. I mean, we've often waited for a number of things, whether it's dealing with issues of law enforcement and federal policies, uh, and, and they have not come. Uh, we realize in California we can probably do things a little faster, and we believe that given the size of California, we're not just some little itty-bitty state. We're the fifth largest economy in the world. And so we've waited long enough for the federal government that is so, in many ways, very different, as we know, um, to bring the kind of change that's necessary. And so California plans to lead the way in this and, and not be in the back seat, but hopefully in the driver's seat uh, to help others to see what is possible as a result of, of California's efforts. Uh, of course, as you would know, there was an original promise of 40 acres and a mule. Why do you think that national movements to make amends for slavery have repeatedly failed over the years? And does this year's so-called racial reckoning our country is going through give you hope that now is the right time for this conversation and beyond the talking for the doing? Well, we hope so. Uh, we hope that those who are uh, serious about it stay focused on it and that, um, and that they recognize the, what has been done. You know, the, the 40 acres and a mule, someone says if, if you basically added it up and, and multiplied and figured out over the years, would be a huge settlement for, uh, for African Americans or anyone. Uh, and we didn't get it, but it was interesting that they recognized the fact that simply freeing from slavery did not necessarily give them an equal footing or, an or even an opportunity to get on an equal footing because they didn't own land and they didn't even if they had land they didn't have a way of working that land you know there are those who still believe that that they don't owe us anything that we have had equal opportunity that we can basically uh, move forward and make a difference and it's interesting because no other group has that has been misused by the United States has ever been treated in that manner. And so that too is a part of the legacy of, of asking ourselves the question, why is it that we've never felt that we needed to do something in terms of reparations for African Americans who suffered the worst kind of discrimination in this country? And we've never felt a sense of obligation at the federal level that we needed to atone for the sins of, of our fathers and even of ourselves. And, um, and so that in itself addresses the, the issue and, and, and it feeds into what is happening in the streets right now. People ask the question, how could somebody do this to George Floyd like that for almost nine minutes? You have to look at the history of this country and its relationship to African Americans and how it has never really taken full responsibility for slavery, never believed that it was a, a, a horrible thing that we did, and even after it's over, never realized that their fathers and their forefathers benefited from slavery and to this day still own the land and the resources that they amassed from slavery. Uh, so it, it is a, hopefully this will be an educational piece as well for the public to understand of the just how deep and powerful the institution of slavery was in this country and how it still affects people today in terms of their privilege or lack of privilege in society. Assemblywoman Shirley Weber, we thank you for the history lesson, for the education, and for your time tonight. Well, thank you. We look forward to the results and sharing that result, the results with the world, so people can really understand the impact of slavery on the lives of African Americans. And I'm excited about that. We'll stay tuned.
Thank you. Thank you. Have a good evening. Hi, everyone. George Stephanopoulos here. Thanks for. Brother Jim, okay. Conversation with me. I'm sorry, go ahead, brother. I didn't mean to interrupt you. I didn't know if you knew we were, were starting or not. Go ahead. Yes. Uh, can you hear me fine? Uh, sound like you on speakerphone. You're not coming in as clear as you was before. Okay, I see. It's just the opposite. <laughs> okay, I hear you okay now. All right, that's better. A lot better. Thank you. All right, great. Conversation, reparations, conversation, reparations, conversation, reparations. We are bringing you today, actually, we mentioned in the last episode about some of the news stories that were breaking in the reparations movement. And one of those news stories was that the uh, task force had been set up uh, or uh, chosen and and. Uh, for the state of California, which passed a reparations bill, as well as a San Francisco City uh, Task Force Advisory Committee had been set up, and those are some of the news headlines. Well, we're very excited today to have the opportunity to have a conversation with Sister Camilla Moore, who has emerged as the chair of that California Reparations Task Force and, um, and has a great uh, history, you know, as a young person in, in, in journeying through this reparations work and to, into the position that she now holds and even attended the, uh, one of the panelists last year at our Encoba National Virtual Convention. So, Sister Camilla is on? Oh, no, sir. Okay. All right. Well, you just finished um, listening to an interview with um, Dr. Shirley Weber, who is the one that introduced the bill, wanted to give a little bit of background before we got into the commission uh, about the bill and how it came into being. And so you just heard that. Uh, I'm going to uh, give some, uh, as I mentioned in the last show, I'm going to try to add some more uh, just news clips or snippets of things that are happening because there are so many things happening on the reparations front, even, like I said, even from just a year or two ago. So I just saw an article where um, they say plantations are now um, paying reparations, and some people say it's not reparations, but they are looking at different um, ways that they can give back to the descendants of those who uh, were on those, uh, whose ancestors worked on those plantations. And so... That is something that, that is happening, that the conversation is happening and, and going on with certain former um, plantations. Some of them have been turned into museums, and people are saying that in addition to them being a museum, they can do more in the community, and so they are um, beginning to do that. Uh, also just wanted to let people know that the Movement for Black Lives, who COBRA works with, has declared June Reparations Month, so they have a um, series of activities that will be going on every week in the month of June, focusing on different aspects of reparations. Um, and so if you want to go to their website, movementforblacklives.org, you can find out more information about the different activities that they'll be doing in the month of June to uplift reparations and organize around reparations. 
Um, we kicked it off with a uh, reparations teaching on June the 3rd. Uh, I was one of the spokespeople on the panel, as well as Sister Ikichi Taifa, a founding member of Incobra, as well as Movement for Black Lives activists, and a very, very powerful session. I'm sure they'll probably put that up on, on YouTube so people can partake of that if you didn't hear it on June 3rd. And then I just found out, um, which is right here where I now reside, or in Florida, that there has been an Okoe scholarship um, created for descendants of the 1920 uh, race massacre in Okoe, Florida. And they're going to be giving out scholarships as, as a form of reparations. And so again, um, we will dig into some of these stories uh, further on further episodes of conversation reparations. But just wanted to give you a few snippets of things that are going on in the, in the reparations movement, and and so much more is continuing to go on. All right. Well, why don't we line up this next clip, and then we'll see if we can get our our guests online. California made history here today by convening the country's first state task force on reparations for slavery. The panel will study the continuing effects of slavery and explore ways to repay descendants of slaves. NBC4's Angie Crouch has more. Will you please raise your right hand and repeat after me. For the first time in our nation's history, a state task force was sworn in today in an online meeting to study the lasting consequences of slavery and determine how to right the wrongs of the past. California's first black Secretary of State, Shirley Weber, wrote the bill that created the panel when she was a state assemblywoman. The racism of slavery, birth and an unjust system and a legacy of racial harm and an inequality that continues today in every aspect of our life. The inaugural meeting of the task force comes on the 100th anniversary of the Tulsa, Oklahoma massacre of hundreds of black people by a white mob and one year since George Floyd was killed by a white police officer in Minnesota, sparking nationwide protests calling for racial justice. As our country reckons with our painful legacy of racial injustice, California again is poised to, to lead the way lead the way towards a more equitable and inclusive future for all. The nine-member panel was appointed by the governor and legislative leaders and is made up of mostly descendants of slaves who are scholars, politicians, and civil rights activists. The task force will craft an apology for slavery on behalf of the state and identify ways in which slavery continues to contribute to racial inequity today and explore ways the state might make reparations to African Americans. Providing free education for descendants of slaves at our Cal State and UC system, providing first-time home buyers assistance to provide Medicare and child care. Uh, and those are very easy uh, examples of what these reparations can look like uh, without bankrupting the state. The panel will provide a report to state lawmakers next year. Angie Crouch, NBC4 News. California just launched its first-in-the-nation task force looking at possible reparations for slavery and discrimination against African Americans. California was admitted to the Union as a free state, but has a tangled history with slavery nonetheless. KPI x 5 Devin Feely joins us now from San Jose with what the task force is considering. Devin? 
Yeah, it's really kind of interesting that the state of California is tackling this issue. It's often seen as a national issue, something that is perhaps best left to the federal government. But at this point, all options are on the table, and that includes payments of money, education, economic and health programs, as well as criminal justice reform. California, again, is poised to, to lead the way. Governor Gavin Newsom kicked off the first meeting of the state's reparations task force. The nine-member group will spend the next two years studying California's history and legacy of slavery and discrimination. As Dr. Martin Luther King stated, this country has wrote a promissory note to African Americans that continues to come back marked insufficient funds. California lacks the South's long history of slavery. Enslaved African Americans, historians say, were brought to the state during the gold rush and the years after. But California was officially admitted to the Union in 1850 as a free state. There were groups of enslaved African Americans brought into the state. They were essentially legally freed when the territory achieved statehood. But that doesn't mean that they were practically freed. The task force will consider an array of possible remedies from a formal apology to cash payments to education and health programs to criminal justice reform. It's not entirely clear who will be eligible, although the state's website says that there will be a, quote, special consideration for descendants of persons enslaved in the United States. I stand on the shoulders of my ancestors, and I am ready to fight to deliver them justice. What's even less clear than who's eligible is how much money, if any, will be dedicated to the task force recommendations. I'm hopeful that the American people will have a, have a heart to know the history of America and the struggle of, of the descendants of people who were brought here. The idea of reparations has existed in one form or another since basically the end of the Civil War, but has never really come to fruition. It remains an open question about whether or not what California is trying to do will spur other states or perhaps the federal government to act themselves. In San Jose, Devin Feely, KPIX On. Some asked us, why in California? Why not somewhere else? Why did we not do it in the South? Okay, as a group, but we came to understand very clearly that California has the ability and the power to do it. And if not us, then who? We cannot separate the things that people are crying for in the streets in terms of justice from what has happened in the past. And that we are here, you're here today not just to seek an answer to say, was there harm? But your task is to determine the depth of the harm and the ways in which we are to repair that harm. You know, as our country reckons with our painful legacy of racial injustice, California, again, is poised to, to lead the way, lead the way towards a, a more equitable and inclusive future for all. Oh, yeah. Conversation reparations, we're back. <clears throat> Again, this is a program brought to you by COBRA, the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America. I host this show, and my name is Jumoke Isayo. I currently serve as the Southeast Regional Representative of COBRA, as well as the facilitator of the Outshape Committee of COBRA. Again, we are focusing this show, this episode today, on the California Reparations Task Force, which is newly sworn in this week. And, and we have on the line now, I believe. Yes. Yeah, I had a question. Okay. 
Okay, um, Brother Jim, okay, I'm sorry. This is Eric Cole from 314. 314, give us just a second. We're trying to connect with our guests, and I thought you might have been her, but that may be another line, but I promise we'll come back to you. Just hold on for us. Thanks for tuning in and calling in to share your thoughts. Um, Jamoke, is it a 626 area code for for Miss um, Moore? Uh, I think that's right, yeah. Okay, let me unmute. 626, uh, last four, one, four, six, four, your own conversation reparations with your host, Brother Jamoke. Is this Miss Moore? Yeah, this is her. There you go, Brother Jamoke. Um, yes, she's on the line. All righty then. Um, yeah, so so again, welcome to our show. Welcome to Conversation Reparations. Um, congratulations on being chosen to be the chair of the uh, historic, I, I said historical, you should say, um, his historical point in our in our movement that we will become the chair of the California Reparations Task Force. So if you could just um, give us a little bit of background about who you are and your journey into the world of reparations activism. Okay. Yes. Thank you for the warm welcome and thank you for um, the congratulations. My name is Camila Moore. Um, I am an attorney and a reparations activist. Um, to give some background, um, law school, before that I went to UCLA, but um, I went to Columbia Law School or law school in general with the express intention of um, learning more about reparations and um, and so went to Columbia Law School um, and made sure that before I graduated, the school offered some curricula on reparations law. Um, I was also able to uh, pursue a dual degree while I was at law school. Um, and so I obtained not only like a traditional juris doctorate degree, but a master of laws or LLM in international criminal law. Um, because I, I wrote like a, a 50 page thesis on um, reparations for the transatlantic slave trade, slavery, and the afterlife of slavery where I was really wrestling and grappling with um, the legal questions um, of repertory justice and how those questions kind of intersected with um, international law and international law. Um, but aside from just my academic pursuits um, and how that connects me to the reparation struggle, um, I've also made it a point to, you know, connect with different grassroots organizations in the reparation space. So I've been a panelist for um, the Cobra virtual um, summit. Um, this, well, I think it was past year. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so basically, you know, I'm a grassroots activist, but also, you know, I have an academic foundation and um, exploring this topic as well. All right, great. And um, so we we have you as a as a young person coming in in from I don't know if you're familiar with Deja Palmer Feldman, 
coming in that tradition who also went to law school so that she could focus on reparations. And we have some great uh, attorneys that have been a part of Vancouver, that are a part of Vancouver, Mama Aju Ayatoro and Sister Nkisi Taifa. And we appreciate you coming on in, in that tradition of, of strong uh, activism with a law background as well. So we appreciate that. So I don't know if you how much of the, the videos that you heard. I don't know if you wanted to add anything. Well, let, let's just let's just skip over that. <laughs> uh, if there was um, some things. Well, one thing I though I wanted to bring out in one of the videos was they talk about 40 acres promise, and I think we should always uh, correct that is that you know 40 acres um, was actually given out to people uh, formerly enslaved Africans. Actually, was up to 40 acres. Um, we actually, I actually saw, the, I've actually seen some of the deeds, and some of people's families got 14 acres, 22 acres, 40 acres, different amounts. And so, but that land was actually given out, um, hundreds of thousands of acres of land was given out and then taken back. But it was more than a promise because it was actually given for, for a period of time and then taken back. And so, and then also there was some conversation about, you know, our reparations efforts having failed and, I mean, overall, you know, we, we're still in the fight for national reparations, but, you know, we do want to lift up where we have had some successes over the years, like the Black Manifesto, like Rosewood, like Georgetown, like Evanston, and, and so, we, and uh, Asheville, North Carolina. So we are having some successes along the reparations front and even things that I've been reporting that we've uh, talked about over, over the last two years during this show. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about um, the bill? We know that it's modeled after H.R. 40, actually the updated version of H.R. 40, which was updated primarily by Encobra to add language to call for not just a study bill, but to call for uh, reparations proposals, as well as to be in alignment with the United Nations five forms of reparations. Can you tell us a little bit about um, the bill itself? Yeah, sure. Absolutely. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, AB 3121, which is um, the California State Reparations Bill, uh, is largely modeled after H40 or the most recent or updated version of HR40, which was revised, as we know, by um, in Cobra in 2017, particularly Cam Howard, uh, whereby what you just said. Um, one of the two major uh, revisions of H.R. 40, which is also reflected in AB 3121, um, the state of California's reparations bill is, as you said, one, um, it emphasizes, um, you know, the need for, it reemphasizes the bill to be a, a remedy bill versus a study bill. Um, and then second, um, as you said, it incorporates um, the international um, human rights norms for reparations, um, which we know are those five forms of reparations, compensation, restitution, rehabilitation, satisfaction, um, and guarantees of non-repetition. Um, again, those you know, two major revisions um, that INCOBRA via Cam Howard um, was responsible for revising in 40 is also reflected in AB 3121. Now, it's also important to note 
Um, there is language in AB 3121 that's not reflected in HR 40, and that is this like specificity language um, where AB 3121 says, you know, these reparations proposals um, are for African Americans with a special consideration for African Americans who are descendants of of Africans enslaving states. Um, and that language, I believe it's responsible. Um, who's responsible for that language? It was some other activist groups, particularly, um, we can get into that later. But uh, for the most part, 3121 is largely modeled by, after um, HR 40. And I think it's really important um, that NCOBRA, um in 2017 revised HR 40. Um, and it's and and it's really important that those revisions are also in AB thirty one twenty one. Yeah, thank you. So um, yeah, I was also thinking about in terms of the bill, meaning that you know because it is a state bill that it also has some provisions that, and maybe you can help explain it to me a little bit better. I know that, such that I guess if if there's a national reparations bill that gets passed, that it doesn't, it's not in conflict with that. And, and did I get that right? right. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so that's also some new language by virtue of it being a state bill that I know mm-hmm. uh, activist groups, local activist groups, are responsible for. For they put in the bill, um, you know, any proposals that come out of this state commission doesn't preclude um, the federal government being responsible for reparations on a federal level. Right. Mm-hmm. And so at at your uh, recent um, uh, convening of the very first um, of, of the commission, I understand that we have that um, Brother Cam testified as well as uh, Jahahara Kibalan, who has been a long time acting as former national male co-chair of Cobra um, based in the um, Oakland area. And I'm just going to take a minute and, and read his statement into the record uh, that he um, submitted. And statement to California Task Force for Reparations, 1st of June, 2021. I'm reading from Shahara's statement. Giving honor and praise to our divine creator of, of and in all, beloved ancients and ancestors from yesteryear and literally yesterday. My name is Jahara Amenra Akibalan Ma'at, a lifetime member, past national male co-chair, and West Region representative for our National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America, and COBRA. And COBRA has been advocating for full reparations for African Americans for the past three and a half decades on the federal, local, and international level. And through legislation, the courts, in communities, in jails, and prisons, at international bodies like the United Nations, and in the streets. I am also author of three books, dozens of articles, and several songs on reparations. And COBRA members were also victorious, excuse me, and COBRA members were also the visionaries, along with the late Congressman John Tanya Jr. and others who created our HR 40 and now S40, which is the foundation of our state legislation. I, we want to thank Dr. Shirley Weber whose family escaped terrorism and impoverishment in Hempstead 
County, Hope, Arkansas, as did mine on both sides. The Legislative Black Caucus, as well as Governor Gavin Newsom, for moving this first in the United States process forward. And special congratulations to all of you for agreeing to serve on this monumental effort, as well as Sister Attorney Camilla Miller Moore and Reverend Dr. Amos Brown for serving as the Distinguished Chair and Vice Chair of the Reparations Task Force. Ashe, amen. Three quick points. First, I'm very critical that a non-African person was appointed to the task force over so many qualified and long-time black reparations advocates. While we always welcome the support of our allies, and however well-intended, they cannot speak for African people, and vice versa. Instead, they should be utilized as valued resource persons, but not as decision makers, as that is our right to self-determination. Secondly, I strongly encourage that the task force to schedule a minimum of 12 public hearings or listening sessions outside of your regular meetings around the state and online. This will allow more African Americans to offer their powerful testimony, experiences, insights, and recommendations to help uncover more truth, offer just solutions based on internationally established norms, and help us to begin healing from the past and continuing horrors and harm. Finally, to increase participation and act in a truly open and democratic manner, I propose the task force hold all of its future meetings and or hearings on Saturday. As a retired labor union, community, environmental justice organizer, I know this will give more of our current and former residents, workers, scholars, students, families, and organizations greater access and opportunities for engagement in this process. We thank you sister and brother leaders. Full reparations now. May God continue to lead and bless all of us. Ashe and Amen. So, chair, Chairperson, I'm using that title now. Do you have some comments on the testimony of Brother Jaha Ra? Putting you on the oh, back. Yeah. Well, I remember when he gave the public comment, um, and I was particularly moved. I mean, it was it was a great public comment. It was spot on. Um, I think that's all I have to say for now. But I mean, I, I appreciate Baba John and his public comment. It was great. Yeah. Well, I don't know if you can have anything to do over the composition of the of the commission. So that question, I mean, that comment, I guess. It is as it is, but the, but I guess you all do have some input in terms of the meeting, in terms of adding additional public hearings and um, possibly scheduling them on Saturday or some of them on Saturday, so more people can be involved. Absolutely, and um, accessibility is especially me being elected as chair. That is um, a concern um, of mine that I'm going to continue to have in mind is how to make this as accessible as possible. And I actually agree that I think having more than 10 hearings or at least 12 hearings um, is necessary and, and having it on the weekends, I think it's also a great suggestion. So these are all things that you know, I'm taking back to the California DOJ that serves as the administrative, technical, and legal support team for the task force. So um, all those suggestions are duly noted, and I'm definitely taking those back um, to the DOJ to figure out ways to make 
this task force accessible as possible because that's how we know one of the reasons why we'll know if it's successful is, is, is in part how accessible it is to the black community in California. Mm-hmm. So how how do you think that um, the community, I guess really kind of building on what you just last said, how do you think the community and reparations activists specifically can support the task force so that it can be even more successful or impactful? Mm-hmm. It's a really great question, and it's probably something that an answer that will evolve over time, um, just depending on just the needs um, of the community and the needs of the task force and how that interacts over this process. But, um, you know, part of it is continuing to engage with us, continuing to provide public comment, reaching out even to the DOJ um, to, you know, show as this organization, you know, you're engaged fully in this process um, and seeing how, um, you know, these organizations can partner with the DOJ to make sure that, you know, this news is reaching the barber shops, the beauty shops, the churches, the community centers, um, and places that, you know, we frequent. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm assuming that DOJ means Department of Justice? Yes, excuse me, the California Department of Justice. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Um what um, pushback have, have you received and, and or anticipate in, in, in this work, this commission? Um, well, of course, the pushback, you know, that I expect and kind of already have received is just, no, obviously support, but there's some pushback as to, you know, just the question oh, well, California was a free state. California never had slavery. California never had discrimination. Building those questions, educating the public on um, the history of slavery and institutional racism in California um, will be um, part of this process. Um, And so... You know, that, that's the pushback that we've already received in terms of just, like, you know, I'm not name-calling, just, just people who aren't aware of that history. So um, mm-hmm. that uh, maybe even potentially legal challenges, but, I mean, that's probably some years down the line. But I think the major pushback would just be from people who don't really understand why California Camilla? Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, it sounded like you were breaking up a little bit. Yeah, you know, I was thinking about the fact that, you know, oftentimes when we have um, what is seen as successes, you know, when I talk about the Voting Rights Act, or even many different, you know, different things, that once we, we have those uh, successes, then there's the, there's you know, the pushback, you know, just like, for example, with the, um, you know, with Biden coming into office and then in, in the Senate um, races in Georgia, and then you had all of these bills, you know, being introduced over 250 bills introduced in local state legislatures to 
you know, voter suppression, right? So I was just thinking along those lines, like, you know, we, we, we have this success in getting this operations task force and then, you know, anticipating that there's going to be some, some resistance or some pushback after, you know, this um, victory that we have achieved so far. So um, do you think that the um, – well, I tell you what. Let's let's do this. There was a couple of uh, callers, at least one caller. Let's go ahead and and see what their question or comment was, and then we can okay. begin um, to wind down. Uh, Brother Jamoke, thank you. That guy uh, hung up, and you know, uh, it, I was kind of suspicious anyway. We haven't even heard from the guests yet. So, what question do you have? Ten seconds into the broadcast, but <laughs> but I do have a question. If others that are listening now have a question, please give us a call, 626-213-5779. That's 626-213-5779. Um, but I have a question along, you know, um, just looking at, and we may have that caller calling back, um, and we'll get their call. But let me go ahead and ask this question real quick. Um do you, you know, I've been paying attention to, or not paying close attention, but been reading about the recall efforts of Governor Newsom. So I imagine that this bill, you know, was signed into law that created uh, the task force was, you know, signed by him um, before the recall, or I don't know, perhaps during it. But do you think there some of that pushback um, in terms of recalling? the governor might be because of his support of this task force? Uh, that's a good question. Um, I, I think I think Newsom, Governor Newsom, that's a good question. I, I need clarity on the whole recall timeline as well. But um, I think I think there was a Republican contingent, contingent in California who called for the recall before um, Newsom signed AB 3121 into law. Um, but it's really interesting because um, once um, we met for the first time on Tuesday, um, Caitlyn Jenner, um, she is, uh, I believe, running for governor in this recall election against Governor Newsom. Yes. She actually um, published a statement um, speaking out against the task force and stating, you know, this is one of the one of the many reasons why um, Governor Newsom should be recalled because she didn't believe that state resources should be allocated to a task force of this nature because, you know, slavery was in the past. So um, at least that was her reasoning. So a lot of people were, you know, saying, some reporters even, local reporters were saying, you know, I didn't necessarily, they were saying they didn't anticipate this reparations task force becoming a political issue related to the recall, but we're starting to see, at least in the eyes of Caitlyn Jenner and maybe her supporters, that this, this is becoming an issue. But it wasn't the original issue or reason why he was recalled, no. Okay, thank you. And we'll take uh, that caller at 4600. Your last four is 4600. Go ahead with, uh, give us your name uh, and your question or comment. Well, my name is Mr. P. I asked several questions, but they're short. I think news, uh, your governor is doing that just to keep from getting his head on the chopping block. <clears throat> but you had a 
a class action suit that appeared in California. And it wound up in the Seventh Circuit in Chicago in Judge Posner's court. And it was the suit that was brought by Miss Pellman, who I know. We have different opinions. But that judicial route of trying to seek reparations, in that case, he was trying to get it from companies, has failed. Now you're trying to do it on a political stance, and it would be interesting. I don't think it's going to go into place because you can't show what the United States profits from slavery. And another point, you know, you talk about the Comey, and at that time, Secretary of War Stanton and their 40 acres in the mule, the reason that didn't go through because that was Indian land. That land belonged to Chickasaw and the Muscovy Creek. And just as you talk about Wall Street, many of the people that were involved in that, the victims in that were Muscovy Creek, but they're not mentioned. So, okay. Do you have a question? Sir? Where, I asked, so "Where are you? Where are we? Well, you. you know, the, these questions like this that I'm asking, I never hear them talked about. Okay, so and what's your let, opinion on? Let, let me see, just to narrow it down for clarification. And by the way, I used to be a life member in Cobras. So I know the arguments very well. Okay. Go ahead. So, so just to narrow it down, your questions is: you made comment about the lawsuit, and you don't think suing or going through the courts will work. That's more of a comment than yeah, a question. It, 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 absolutely. But, all all Africans, quote unquote, are slaves. How do they identify? Okay. So, yeah, how do you identify too? Okay, and then you mm-hmm. said that you made a statement that you can't prove that the United States profited from slavery, even though slavers paid taxes. But we'll let, you know, Attorney Moore answer your question. And thanks for calling in and well, hold slavery, on for her answer. Slavery couldn't pay taxes. They wouldn't suppose they got paid. Okay. But how so let you, her, let her go ahead and answer your question, it? sir. Let, well, let, sir her, look, you... let her go ahead and answer your question because you're droning on and, you know, making statements and, you know, we're trying to give um, – the uh, listeners clarity on what you're saying. So the question that I would like for the attorney to tackle is he says that you can't prove the government, the federal government profited from slavery. Any, anybody got an answer for that? Um, well, yeah, I, I would just say there's numerous scholars that talk about the federal government's complicity um, with U.S. title slavery. Um, and, yeah, so I can list those scholars, but I, I I wanted to tackle something else he said because it was really interesting. Okay, before um, you, know, you do I that, do, let me just say this. The Fugitive Slave Act was a federal law. Okay, absolutely. go ahead. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> um, but... Um, you know, he's right in part where the judicial avenues for obtaining reparations, I wouldn't say are completely foreclosed, 
but that Farmer Pilmer case um, 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 is indicative of, of of that to cause concern, right? Because we know we we know what Judge Posner um, and his colleagues, you know, stated in that opinion, um, and how they use and how they use procedural mechanisms like statute of limitations and things like that to preclude um, uh, the case on its merits, preclude hearing the case on its merits. But um, that's not to say that we won't be successful on the political level or legislative level. Um, there might be challenges. We know there are going to be challenges because it's new territory. But um, we have to exhaust all the avenues available to us, and this is part of that process. Yeah, and I, I just wanted to add, I thought that case was dismissed with, without prejudice, which means we can bring it back. And, am I correct on that? Oh, that would, that's something that I need clarity on myself. That's a great question. Well, that, that was my understanding. And, and But in addition to that, you know, one, one of the things, and COBRA has never limited ourselves to one particular strategy. Many, as a matter of fact, many of our lawyers only use focus on the legal strategy because we didn't, we didn't, they themselves didn't feel like that would be successful or the best way to go about reparations. But we wanted to use the exhaust the legal approach so that we could show our people and people that sometimes just through the government and people will say those kind of things. We said, well, we tried that and it didn't work. That's why we're going to legislative route. So it's not as if we, you know, first of all, and, and in addition to that, we are already making success on, on the legislative route at the federal level, at the city level, state level as well as in terms of institutions, in terms of colleges and universities, reparations is already happening, is in the process of happening in, 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 in already. So it's not a matter of we, we're still trying to get reparations. We're getting reparations. Now we're continuing to get more reparations, but oh. it's already happening. And, and so to, to make the argument that, you know, like, oh, we tried this lawsuit. The lawsuit was just one particular strategy that we most, some of them, our lawyers already felt like wasn't going to work, but we said, let's, let's go that route so that we can show people what would happen if you go that route. But right. from the beginning, we have looked at many different strategies and we'll continue to look at many different strategies, not even just the legislative route. There's still even other routes, international route and even other mass mobilization and other routes as well. And, it, and, and COBRA looks at all of those possibilities in our organizing. Um, I, I do have another question. It does relate to the California bill because in listening to the news clips on more than one occasion, they did not limit reparations just to the period of chattel slavery, but Jim Crow as well for the racist policies. And, you know, for the two years that I've been helping Brother Jamoke engineer this program, it seems like, you know, um, I believe H.R. 40 even mentions the period uh, after the Civil War, Jim Crow racism. And I know the United Nations reparations report on African-Americans also named the period of Jim Crow. So we're not just talking chattel slavery. Is that correct? Isn't that mentioned in this bill? Yeah, it is, it is mentioned in, in AB 3121 as well as in HR 40. That is correct. And and when we talk about reparations, we, yeah, we're talking about not just slavery and not even just Jim Crow, but all the way up to present time and continually um, discrimination in housing, continued discrimination in healthcare services, continued discrimination in education, continued discrimination, uh, continued police murder, 
and so many other things, you know, reparations. And, and this is one of the things that we continue to lift up is, is not just about slavery. It is about what happened during slavery as a starting point and what has continued to happen to people even up to now. You know, even just as a sidebar, but it's all connected. You know, I just came back from Tulsa uh, this, this last week. And so, you know, one of the things that was interesting, we focused on the massacre, for example. However, I began to learn that the city, even to today, is still being oppressed in terms of being, in terms of the, the black citizens of Tulsa rebuilding that community. There's still huge swaths of, of land. A hundred years later, that's this vacant lot. When they first tried to rebuild uh, Greenwood right after the race riot, they, they were restricted from buying lumber. They were restricted from buying brick. They, 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 the city didn't provide water service. The city didn't provide um, electricity. And many other things that they continue to do to suppress um, the massacre, uh, the, the citizens from rebuilding Greenwood, even up, even up to today. So when we talk about reparations, we're definitely talking about um, Jim Crow, redlining, how discrimination disparities exist even as we have this conversation right now. And also I'm specific... Sorry, I, that one. I don't know if, you want, if Camilla wanted to add to that. But also specific to, you know, uh, I'm thinking of the book Slavery by Another Name because you know I'm part of the new abolitionist movement that looks at the 13th mm-hmm. Amendment and many of these state constitutions right. that do not uh, clearly abolish mm-hmm. slavery, but leave a loophole as punishment for crime. Right. It's specific to North Carolina. I mean, excuse me, to California. A lot of convict labor, African Americans mm-hmm. railroaded into prison and then leased out to the mm-hmm. railroad company to to you know put the rail line all the way out to California. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. And I, I know that there that that has to be a part of the conversation for the task force um, as well. Um, and I know that there's legislation actually on the state level in California where they're aiming to um, eradicate that slavery exception in our state constitution. Um, and that that bill, just to give a shout out, um, was introduced by um, state senator now, then assembly member. Sydney Comlogger, and the bill is ACA3. Um, the, the, the larger name for it is ACA3, the California Abolition Act to Abolish Involuntary Servitude. Um, and it would do just as what you were just proposing to delete or eradicate that slavery exception from the state constitution, which should happen statewide and, of course, on a federal level as well. Um, thank you for that. Um, yeah, and the also just a correction in terms of the land being taken back in the 40 acres of the mill was, was because of the assassination of Abraham Lincoln and the different route that the president coming in after him took. Um, didn't have to do with the fact that the land was Muskogee and Chickasaw Creek land. And it is correct, though, that uh, Tulsa Greenwood uh, residents, African-American residents, many were um, Muscogee and or mixed blood um, African descent in, in, in that region of Oklahoma. 
But anyway, let's move on. I think we can kind of wind it down now. Is there uh, anything you would like to share with us, Camilla, that we need to know or be thinking about or just closing remarks on this conversation and how we move forward with uh, what's happening in, in California and around the country? Um, no, I'll just say thank you for the opportunity to speak. Um, I really do respect uh, Cobra and the work that you all have done uh, to move this conversation forward in the past, you know, over 30 years. Um, again, thank you for the opportunity. I'm here if you all have any other questions, um, comments, and concerns. I hope that this line of communication stays open. And, yeah, thank you. Thank you for, for your work and, and the great um, weight that's on your shoulders now carrying this reparations task force. So we will be lifting <laughs> you up in spirit and any and, 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 and other way that, you know, you may need of uh, COBRA assistance. Please also do not hesitate to reach out to us and, and for that, me personally or other people that you may know in, in COBRA. Do you have any comments, closing conversation, brother? Scotty? Um, no, other than to, uh, like you say, stand in agreement for her protection and lifting her up so that she has the strength and the clarity to do what she what needs to be done. So thank you for stepping up, uh, sister, and all those working with you. Thank you. You've been listening to Conversation Reparations, Conversation Reparations, Conversation Reparations with your brother, Jamoke Fichayo. Uh, this show is brought to you by INCOBRA. Our INCOBRA is the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America. Our website is INCOBRAonline.org. That's INCOBRAonline.org. We strongly encourage you to check out our national convention this year. This, it's, it's coming up soon, shortly, June 25th through the 27th. And we always have a high caliber convention with the leading reparations activists. Well, the last, last year, Dr. Shirley Weber was, was one of our panelists as well as Camilla Moore was one of our panelists. And so we, we bring you, we'll have Sheila Jackson-Lee, um, Sister Erica Alexander, um, who's now doing a podcast on reparations. We have um, Judge Mathis again and, and many other, other leaders. I think Kiki Kaifa has been referenced on this call. Many other leaders who are the thought leaders and actually on the ground making a difference in the reparations movement. You will get the best of the best at our convention. So we encourage you to go to Encoba Convention on Eventbrite, Encoba Convention on Eventbrite, and register for our national convention. And we encourage you to stay engaged, to get involved, step up and um, support financially, support um, by joining INCOBRA. Again, INCOBRA is a coalition of individuals as well as organizations. So your organization can be an organizational member of INCOBRA. You don't have to give up your organizational work and identity, keep doing what you're doing, and, and join the coalition as a coalition member, as an organizational coalition member. So let's. You can listen again to Conversation Reparations.